Amen. Coming, I'm coming. Sorry to be late, Josie. I was trying to get the dog out of the bathtub. And what exactly was the dog doing in the bathtub? Taking a bath, of course, with his rubber ducky. He really loves that thing. He never takes a bath without it. I remember once... Eddie, what? we are going to be late if we don't hurry up. Sunday school is too important to be late getting there. Oh, I don't know, Josie. I was thinking about not going this week. What? You are not going to go? Why? Well, I kind of figured that. I go to real school five days a week. So why should I go to Sunday school, too? Because Sunday school is where we learn about God and His Word. I know, Josie. But I was thinking that I already... I already know that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I already know everything about the Bible there is to know. After all, I know that Goliath built an ark of the covenant where he put two of each species to keep them safe from the flood of the frogs until King David let Moses leave Egypt. Oh, brother, I think you're a little confused there, Eddie. Well, okay, I may not know everything about the Bible, you're right about that. So you really should come to Sunday school with me. Besides, we do other things than learn about the Bible, don't we? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Why, I had a great time at Sunday school last week. I don't remember the last time I had so much fun. Wow, you had that much fun? What did you do? Well... Let's see. I threw an eraser at Joey and put a tack under Tim's chair. And that was just for the warm-up. Then I... Eddie, why did you do all of that? I had a good reason. And that was what? Well, because... Well, I don't guess I know... Why don't you tell me what lesson the teacher shared in class last week? Oh, yeah. That was really good lesson. Why, I remember. I remember. I guess I don't remember. That's not good, Eddie. You should always pay attention in class and not fool around. Do you know why? Well, duh. Everybody knows that one, Josie. 
If you don't listen to the in class, your teacher will tell your parents. No, Eddie. We should listen, pay attention, and never fool around because one really important reason, big reason. What is it? Come on, tell me, please. What is it? What? 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 Okay, calm down. It's because it makes God happy. He likes to see all the boys and girls listening to their teachers and trying hard to learn about Him. Does it really make God happy, Josie? It sure does. When we obey our teachers and our parents, it's just like we are obeying Jesus. That's sure to make God happy every time. I never knew that, Josie. Hey, let's hurry up and go to Sunday school. What's the big rush now, Eddie? I want to get to Sunday school and hear what the teacher has to say. I also want to be extra special good, so I can make God happy this week. Come on, Josie, let's go. I think I better go and catch him. He's going to pass out when I tell him he should do his homework too. Josie, hurry up! I'm coming. Wait for me. <laughs> Wow, there was a whole lot of truth in that. We have to do our homework too, correct? Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, even us, we come to church on Sunday and we hear the word, but um, once we leave church on Sunday, we're supposed to do our homework, right? Live it out throughout the week, so... We're glad that you're here today. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me as our children are being dismissed to Children's Church. Please turn with me to 1 Timothy. It's good to see you today. Thank you for being here. We are now well over a year in our journey through the Bible, taking a different book of the Bible every Sunday. Uh, most of you know on Wednesday nights, typically we study a book of the Bible and then on Sunday I preach or teach from that same book of the Bible. Going through there looking for, for something that the Spirit of the Lord just kind of illuminates and turns the light on. Um, and sometimes it takes a different form than other weeks, but I will have to tell you that it's almost like the Lord did exactly that this week and shined a light on some passages of Scripture in this book of the Bible to just, it's almost like it was a flashing light that said, here's what you talk about Sunday, son, you better listen. And so today I'm going to be doing some teaching uh, from the Scripture uh, and I've invited you to bring your Bibles. How many got a phone call yesterday asking you to bring your Bibles? If you didn't get one, it's because you're not on our phone list. And if you would like to be on our phone list, if you'll write your name and phone number on a sheet of paper, then I can include you um, even this afternoon, put you on the list so that you'll receive those calls once a week usually as we um, 
touch base with you on Saturdays for the most part. Someone came in today, I won't call any names, but they were laughing and said that they had to go find their Bible. And yes, it did have dust on it, but they had been using their phone for their Bible reading and so forth. And I understand all of that, but I did ask you if you would to bring your Bibles today. So before we get into the word, would you stand with me? And I'd like for us to do the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible, which you see on the screen there. Would you stand with me? You might want to hold your Bible in your hand while we do this. This is, this is something that would not be out of order if we did it every single Sunday. Because we don't do this to waste our time. It is never a waste of time to look at God's Word. Uh, we don't come to church on Sunday to hear entertainment in a sermon. It's not about entertainment. It's about looking and searching the Word of God for the truths that are found therein and then making those things applicable to our daily lives or doing the homework, as Eddie said a while ago, or one of them, uh, living that out throughout the week. So before we actually get to the Word today, let's pledge allegiance to the Bible. I hope you know what that means. That means you take it seriously. That means... The Bible is important to you. That means you've committed yourself to live according to the precepts and the teachings of the Word. That's what this is about. So would you say it with me? I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy Word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. Thank you. You might be seated. As we start today in 1 Timothy, um, I would like for us to, um, or I would like to share with you just a little bit of, of background concerning this book. And I'm, I'm just, I hope it doesn't bother you. I'm going to step down here. It's a whole lot brighter down here and I can see my Bible down here. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I can't see up there. Um, so maybe we can get that fixed, but then if we do that, then I'll have to stay up there and I like it better down here. First epistle of Paul, the apostle to Timothy. Now, thus far in our study through the Bible, we've looked where Paul wrote to the Romans, Paul wrote to the, um, Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Galatians, in some of those places, he would start out something like this, to all the saints who are in Rome. In other words, when he was writing, when Paul was writing these books of the Bible, these epistles, he was writing to the church in general. Well, there's a very significant and noteworthy change this morning, because when Paul actually wrote this epistle, he didn't write it to a church. He wrote it to a person. He wrote to a young man whose name was Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young believer. Paul had recently become acquainted with him. Paul was impressed with what he saw in this young man and said, I want you to come with me. God's got something in store for you. He wants to use you mightily. And Timothy, I want you to come with me. So it's almost like Paul adopted him. And brought him under his wing and began to groom him and began to teach him. 
And as we're going to read in a few moments, as Paul is going on his missionary journeys, there comes a point where Paul says to Timothy, I want you to stay here in Ephesus and pastor this church. And I'm going to go ahead and and do my mission work and preaching the gospel elsewhere. And we'll make reference to that in just a moment. Paul loved this young man. Now remember, this letter is written to one person. That was Paul's intent when he wrote this. It's written to Timothy, this young man, his son in the faith. Paul saw himself as as Timothy's spiritual father. And he saw Timothy as his spiritual son. And he loved Timothy. He saw great potential and great promise in his life. And so now as Timothy is pastoring this church and experiencing the challenges of dealing with a group of people. And it's, uh, listen, dealing with a group of people is always a challenge. Uh, I'll tell you how big of a challenge it is when it's just you and your companion at home. It's still a challenge, right? There are times when there are disagreements. There are times when you don't see things the same way and you have to learn to navigate through those times. Amen? Well, the more people you put into a group, the more opportunities you're going to have for some problems or challenges to arise. And it's that way in any church, anywhere. The the secret here in this book of the Bible today is going to teach us that there is a proper way to navigate your way through those things. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? There's a Christian way to navigate your way through challenges and conflicts, whether it's in the home, whether it's between parents and their children, whether it's between people in a church, whether it's you on the workplace. Because as the song was singing, I don't, and we've sung that song before in the choir, but I had never really paid attention to those words until I saw them on the screen today. And that song said, sometimes we forget whose we are. Did you catch that? Sometimes we forget we're Christians. Sometimes we forget we belong to the Lord. Sometimes we forget that there are there are expectations that our Heavenly Father has for us. And we have to behave in certain ways. If you believe that, would you say amen? So, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And so, what I'm going to do... Uh, and here's what... It, Usually every, every week when I know a particular book of the Bible is coming up for sec- next Sunday. Like next Sunday, I know it's Second Timothy. I haven't really studied through it, but just to kind of give you an idea of how this came to, to rise in, in my spirit and in my mind, I sat down this past week, as I do every week, and I read that entire book of the Bible. I don't look at, I don't look at commentaries. I don't, read other people what they had to say. I just open the Bible and I take my time and I pour through that passage of scripture and I highlight things and I circle things. And, and then what happened when I did that this week is something began to become so obvious in this letter that even after I'm 62 years old, I've been in church all my life. I've been a 
a pastor now for well over 35 years. I've read this. I couldn't tell you the numbers of times I've read it, preached through it. I had never seen before what I'm going to share with you this morning about how what this passage of Scripture, this book of the Bible is really talking about. What was on Paul's mind? What was in his heart? What was it that motivated him to write this letter? I think it becomes very clear as we read through this. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Now, Paul loved this family. Let me take just a moment to flip over to 2 Timothy and share with you. Paul not only knew Timothy, but Paul knew Timothy's grandmother and his mother. Because in 2 Timothy, he says in verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. So Paul knew Lois and Eunice and now Timothy. He knew three generations, right? He knew something about this family. He wasn't writing to a stranger. He loved this man like a son. He saw such potential in this young man. And so I want you to notice right out of the gate... Now, when Paul writes to the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Ephesians, he almost inevitably, almost always spends a little... Now, he, he's got something on his mind that he wants to say, right? Most of the time, he's addressing some problems in the church. But before he addresses any problems in the church, usually he spends a little time bragging on them. You ever notice that? He, he tells them what a good job they're doing and, and how they've done this right and how they've done this right. And I heard great things about you and the way that you're being faithful. And I just, I just want to commend you for all. He, you know, he butters them up. He just does what common sense tells you to do. You, you just, you just deal with people uh, uh, with wisdom and you, you, you brag on them and focus on what they're doing and you support what they're doing that's right before you just, Jump in there and let them have it for what they're doing wrong. And he's pretty good at that. As he goes to different places in the New Testament writing to these folks. But I want you to notice what is on Paul's mind. As soon as he gives this traditional greeting, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to notice he jumps. It's right out of the gate. He doesn't waste any time. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in the faith. So he comes right out of the gate and says, I want you to stay in Ephesus. I don't want you to be timid. I don't want you to be shy. I want you to charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor that they give heed to fables. Don't be listening to fairy tales, made up stories, things that are not true. Don't get caught up in that junk and endless genealogies. And all of this type of behavior causes disputes 
rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Now, I think you'll probably agree with me. That's a rather strange way to begin a letter. And he lets them know right quick that they need to refrain from those things. And then in verse 6, he continues by saying, Some, having strayed, I hope you're following and reading with me because I want you to see this in your Bible. That way you'll know you're not listening to Pastor Ron's opinion. You're listening to the Word of God. Verse 6, Some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And so he's very concerned. Now notice those words. Uh, They're giving heed to fables. In other words, they're believing things that are not true. A fairy tale. A fable is a myth, a tale, fiction. It's not real. But yet they're giving heed to these things that are not real. Things that cause disputes. And then things that are, are, are considered idle talk. You know what idle means, don't you? That means your car can be running, but if it's idling, you're not going anywhere. True? It, it makes a noise. It, it, the engine may be running, but you're not making any progress because you're an idle. Uh, incidentally, Jesus had some things to say about, uh, to say about idle talk which maybe we'll refer to later if time will allow. So that's the way he starts this book of the Bible, this letter to Timothy. Let's skip all the way to the end, and I want you to notice how he ends this letter. Chapter 6, verse 20, he says, Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Now, I think it's significant that that Paul begins this dissertation, this letter, by talking about teach them, do more than teach them, command them. Almost demand that they teach no other doctrine. That's, that's what's been preached. And that they don't give heed to myths and tales and fiction and things that are not real. And, and things that cause disputes. Stay away from that. It causes you to stray. Again, verse 6. And, and, and idle talk. Turn aside away from that. And, and these things are problematic. And then he closes out the book. By saying basically the same thing. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely so-called knowledge causes people to stray concerning the faith. Now, don't misunderstand. Paul is not accusing Timothy of being involved in these things. It's not that Timothy is doing those things. It's that Timothy needs to take a stand and tell the church not to be involved in these things. Because these things are problematic. These things will cause people to stray. You know, that's the thing about what's being talked about here. It not only does damage to the person that's involved in it, the person that's doing it, but there's collateral damage that goes along with it as well. Because other people hear it, and then they might believe the myths and the stories and the things that are untrue. And then it has a way of affecting others as well. And and 
And Paul is so concerned that this true son in the faith, this man he's got so much confidence in, this young man, that you need to take a stand and you need to address these things. Now, that's an interesting, it's like an Oreo cookie, right? You've got a cookie on one side and you've got a cookie on, I'm not a big Oreo cookie fan. I guess they come in different colors too, don't they? But you got the idea. You got cookie on one side and you got cookie on the other side. And then some people you say you got the good stuff in the middle. I don't know that I cared about that good stuff all that much. But so we've looked at the beginning and we've looked at the end. And this caused a big question mark in my mind. That's strange how he started this epistle. And it's strange that he ended it the same way. I wonder what there might be in the center that might follow along the same line of thinking. And boy, did I see a whole bunch that I want to share with you. For instance, in beginning at verse 8, Paul is talking about the law and how the law was made not for the righteous, but for those who were unrighteous. The law was revealed to teach us and help us recognize what is wrong And for instance, you pick up in verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. People who don't want to keep the rules, that's who the law is made for. It helps them recognize what's wrong and what's right. For the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers. You see, why is it that we believe that homosexuality is wrong? It's because the law tells us it's wrong. Amen? Why is it that we believe that, that murder is wrong? Because the law tells us it's wrong. It goes on to talk about kidnappers. Well, we know that's wrong. And then it says, and I've I've highlighted this, for liars, for perjurers. And he mentions that. You, You know, you've got to open your mouth and talk to be a liar. That would be the assumption, right? Perjurers, when you say something that is not true, you've testified wrongly. So it's going back again to these fables and things that are not true and idle talk and so forth. It was interesting that in verse 18, Paul gives this challenge to Timothy. It's another charge. There's that word again. Verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, Have suffered shipwreck. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember I shared with you a passage of scripture where Paul had named two women in the church that were causing problems. You remember that? And I said, wouldn't it be a sad thing if your name was listed in the Bible and that's the only thing you were noted for, for being a problem in a church? Well, we read the same thing here, except this time it's not a couple women, it's a couple men. It says, Some have rejected the faith and a good conscience. Verse 20 says, Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander? And Paul says, Whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Oh, they must have done something really bad for Paul to feel that way about, about these particular men. 
So then as we continue reading, we, we get to a point uh, in the scripture where the, the Bible talks about the qualifications of bishops, chapter 3. And there are certain qualifications, and I'm not going to take the time to read those. And then when you get to verse 8 of chapter 3, there's a list of qualifications for the deacons. Verse 8 says, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued. And there you come back to this talking again. Not double-tongued, not saying one thing to one group of people and something else to another group of people. Remember how history records that the Indians, well, now I saw this on Westerns. I don't know that I ever read it in in history book, but remember how on the Westerns, it's the Indians would always say, white man speaketh with. Yeah, white man speaks with forked tongue. I think all of us have a pretty good idea about what that means. You can't believe what they say. And so the Bible says in verse 8, deacons, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued. And there's that idea again. You have to be careful with your words. Amen. A Christian has to be careful with their words. And then in verse 11, it starts talking about the deacon's wives. And it says, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers. You're not supposed to say things about other people that's not true. Amen? And so we have that warning there. Um, and, and teach these things, Timothy. In verse 14... Paul says, now, Timothy, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Primarily because, as that song said we sang this morning, we can't forget whose we are. We can't cave in to the Jerry Springer mentality this world has. We can't begin to act and talk and walk like the world acts. This disgusting TV show on the TV called The View. Where one of these women had the audacity. You've seen this on the news. To talk about our president or our vice president. Our our vice president who is a born again Christian. Who confessed that he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talked to the Lord daily. And Jesus talked to him. And you've seen where the announcer has sat just all over the place. It's been broadcast. Where she said, Jesus talks to you? The definition of that is mentally ill. Slander. Things that are not true ridiculing, making fun of those of us who are Christians. But you know what? It doesn't stop with them out there pointing their fingers towards us. Sometimes we as Christians, we're not careful and pay attention. We find ourselves doing that to each other. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible where Paul wrote to a group of people and said, you guys better quit this and stop this lest you consume yourselves. Biting and devouring one another, he said. So this is a, this book of the Bible is a warning 
that we as Christians and Christ followers need to understand we have to be careful with our words. We can, now, let, let's just, let's just shoot straight here for a minute. How many of us who are here today have ever spouted off something and wish we hadn't said it? Okay, that's us. That's all of us, right? And we have to be careful about that. That's all I'm saying today. The Bible teaches we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful for many reasons. Here's one of the reasons. Because the Bible says that for every idle word we speak, we will give an account at the judgment. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but when I think about that and I take that to heart, that makes me tremble almost. Every idle word we speak. We're going to answer for it, the judgment. Is that not a frightful thought? And the Bible says that by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. That's a frightful thought. To know that we're going to stand before the Lord one day. That is, if we haven't repented and if we haven't made things right in life. And we're going to give an accounting for the things we have said. I've said to you several times that there's none of us who are here that would want our past shown on the screen on church on Sunday morning, right? But you know what? There's something similar to that coming evidently where every one of us are going to give an account for the things that we've said. That's a sobering thought. And so we need to be very careful about what we say and guard our words. In chapter 4, verse 1, concerning the last times, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Now, Timothy, the Spirit speaks expressly and says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. There it is again, this, this tendency to say things and, and, and affect people in negative ways that are displeasing to the Lord and, and in contradiction to what the Lord teaches. Verse six in that same chapter, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished in the words of faith, And of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Verse 7. Here it is again. But refuse or reject profane and old wives fables. Exercise yourself rather to godliness. Be very careful, he says. Reject these profane things. Old wives fables. Stories that are not true. Don't get caught up into that. And then he goes on and he continues in verse 12 to Timothy in a positive way, in an encouraging way. Let no one despise your youth. See, Timothy was a young man. There might have been older people in the church who say, what business you got telling me what I'm supposed to do? And Paul knew that because Paul knew human nature. So Paul says, let no one despise your youth. It's not about age, Timothy. It's not a matter of your age. It's a matter of your heart. It's a matter of your integrity and you doing what's right. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in what you say, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. 
So in chapter 5, he continues by giving some admonitions and again, he jumps all over this. In verse 13, in describing one group of people in the church, he says in verse 13, and besides, they learn to be idle. I don't know exactly what it means they learn to be idle. You don't have to learn to be idle. You just be idle. That's what I would think. But he says they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies. Saying things which they ought not. You see why, why, why this is so obvious? He keeps repeating it over and over and over. Different things about our words. Our attitudes, the things we say, the things we repeat, who we say them to. He says, they learn to be idle. They're wandering from house to house. They're not only idle, but gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but let's go there again. Not raising your hand, but thinking, have you ever said anything which you ought not? I have. But we have to, we have to be careful. About our words. Not only are we going to give an account one day to the Lord for our words. But our words affect what other people think and how they feel. Our words have an effect on them. The Bible says in verse 14. It says give no opportunity to the adversary. To speak reproachfully. Or or. Slander somebody. Uh, now that, that's, that's really a full phrase there if you'll think about it. Give no opportunity to the adversary to speak slander about somebody. That is to say, if we, if we began to say things about other people that are not true, we are opening the door for the adversary to come in and do great damage in our lives. And in our circle. He says don't do that. Don't open that door. Don't open that opportunity for the adversary to come in. By you speaking reproachfully. And then he goes on to say. Some have already turned aside after Satan. Now remember. Every one of these things has to do with things we say. In verse 19. Things change a little bit. Because now he's not going to talk about being careful about what you say. Now he's going to turn the table and talk about things you hear or things you believe. Verse 19, he says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from, except from two or three witnesses. Do you get that subtle shift there? Well, it's not even subtle. He's been talking about all this ways you don't talk this way, you don't talk this way, you don't talk this way, you don't talk this way. And now he says to Timothy, and don't you listen to people who talk that way either. Unless there are two or three witnesses that can come and agree together and confirm that this is indeed the case. Do you know we have to be careful who we listen to? Look at what that says. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. You've got to be careful who you listen to. You've got to be careful what you believe. 
Have we not found out that we cannot believe 50% of what we see on television? I mean, things are so convoluted. Pardon me, but so much fake news. So much news that is inaccurate. So many things being said that are not true. And if we're not careful, we just get kind of caught up into stuff like that. And, and we find ourselves involved in things, listening to things, even saying things that are, well, they're certainly displeasing to the Lord. Verse 20 says, now here's Paul talking to his son in the faith again. And verse 20 says, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. That all the rest also may fear. What's he telling What's he telling Timothy to do there? Don't hide in a corner and ignore everything that's going on. No, if people if people are doing things like this and it's wrecking the the congregation there in Ephesus, he says, "Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear." In other words, if you if you shut up this guy or this gal, whoever, and you discipline them and you do it in a, in a public way, that will help others learn a lesson and keep quiet and not have to endure the same thing. Let's begin at verse 3 of chapter 6. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. And I guess when I looked at that passage, I had always, I had just, the sum total of all that passage meant to me had to do with money. And now I, I understand it doesn't all have to do with money. Because people can hope to gain influence. Sometimes by their talking. And what they're saying, create a following for themselves. And the Bible points that out very clearly. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Telling their side of this particular doctrine or whatever. And then we come again to the last couple of verses in the book. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Now, how many of you will agree with me that Paul had something on his mind when he wrote this letter? Because it surfaces over and over and over and over and over. I think I counted about 12 times that this keeps coming up. Timothy, you have to be on guard, son. You have to stay on top of this. You have to warn people. You have to discipline people. Not only not to be a talker, but not to be a listener. Don't receive an accusation. Don't listen to this garbage. Don't participate in these things. Just 
Just draw back from it. Don't be involved. Now let me ask you this. Well, before we go there, I would like to... Brother Ron, would you come stand with me here just for a minute? I'm, I, I need somebody for an illustration, and I think you're as good as anybody else. Don't you? I think so. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, he said. <laughs> uh, well, Dad, what about you standing up right where you are? Now, now that guy over there? Friend of mine. My brother. You're kidding. Yeah. Him? Yeah, he's my brother. You don't, you don't know what he did. I don't care. He's my brother. I love him anyway. You're supposed to play, play along with me. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what did he do? You see, he's doing it the right way. He's not wanting to listen. <laughs> see, but here's, here's, if I'm all worked up about something that he did... And he did this and he did that and he said this and he said that and I'm all worked up about it. And I come over here and, and, and I start telling him about it. And if he listens to that junk, most likely what's going to happen? I'm not going to like him either. That's exactly right. And, and you're going to... I'm going to go tell her. You probably... Thank you. You will. I will. And then she's going to tell somebody else. <laughs> Look at her. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, listen, this is funny, okay? But is this not realistic? And 2,000 years ago, before there were telephones, and before there was Facebook, and before any of that existed, this same type of scenario that we're working and illustrating right here was going on. Thank you. That's, I think that's all I need from that illustration. Thank you, Dan. It's, it, when, when you start talking about somebody, you don't like somebody, they irritate. Listen, let's get real. There are people you don't like. Is nobody gonna be honest enough to say amen? Now let me, let me explain this to you. The Bible says we're supposed to love everybody. I do love everybody. But there's some people I can't like very well. Did you know there's a difference? I love everybody, but I don't like what some people do and what they say and how they behave themselves, but I still love them. Amen? How many of you have children who do things that you don't like, but you still love them, right? Okay, there we are. You can love somebody, but not like everything about them. Okay, we understand that's the way it is. And, and if somebody just irritates you to no end and you have trouble and the, the, the worst thing you can do is start verbalizing that to everybody. Well, I'm looking for another illustration. Camera's not in here. Okay. I'm looking. Pardon me? Oh, goodness. Ronnie. Now, if, if Ronnie has a real problem with me, and he is just really irritated, I mean, he's really got it in for me, and then he goes over and talks to Scott. Go tell Scott about what a sorry scoundrel I am. 
If he goes over and starts talking to Scott, now wait a minute. Now, now Ronnie, it, we're not even talking about if it's true or not. That's irrelevant at this point. Just the fact that he's irritated at me and so forth. And he's, man, look at him. He's worked up. He's shaking his head and he's shaking his finger. And he's giving Scott an earful. So what's going to happen to Scott? Most likely it's going to change his, going to change his perspective. It's going to change his view. And he's going to begin to look the same way toward me. Because he's had an earful. Okay. That's why the Bible says, receive not an accusation. Don't listen to this garbage because not only is this person all messed up and they're thinking, believing fables perhaps and untrue things, but then you get infected by it and it gets all under your skin and then you start doing the same thing. And then if Scott goes home and one of his little children hear him talking about it, then what happens to the children? How do the, how do the children then begin to feel about the pastor or whoever it is that they hear being talked about? You tell me that doesn't affect them? And listen, I've said this for years. The very, it's a wonderful thing to have a church family. It's a wonderful thing to have a church family. But I'll tell you what, if Ronnie Rose, and I'm just using myself as an example here because some of you get offended if I use you. And, and so if, if Ronnie Rose gets miffed at me and he gets all worked up and he talks starts talking to Scott about it. Well, then both of them have got a little problem. But when their kids start hearing it too, then the kids have a problem. Those kids may need this pastor one day. Those kids may need somebody to talk to. And the very person that God may have ordained to reach them and touch them and bring them to Christ one day, you may have assassinated them by doing that type of thing. And then the kids have no confidence in that pastor because they've heard the garbage that their parents talk about. Right? And listen... Don't make this about me. This is not about me coming up here... I'm, I'm just doing what I do every Sunday. I'm taking a book of the Bible and I, I ran all the way through that book of the Bible and you saw how many times it kept coming up. This is a, an extremely important biblical principle that we have totally ignored almost in 20th century Christianity. Churches all over the place Fussing and bickering and complaining about the dumbest little things. And we have forgotten to obey the word of the Lord. And we have forgotten to understand that one day we're going to stand before the Lord. And we're going to answer for those whisperings. And we're going to answer for those fables, those untrue stories, those accusations. Those things that somebody told us were not true to begin with. And, and that's a horrible thing. Now, let me, let me share something else with you that I think is important. First of all, I will share with you that it is human nature to do what I'm talking about today. Is it not? When you get a little miffed at anybody, you get a little aggravated whether it's on the job or wherever it is, when you get really perturbed about something, you want to tell somebody about it, right? 
It feels better to tell somebody about it. And so it's, it's just human nature. And you want to, you want to uh, vent. You want to let it out. And so when we begin to do that, why, my point is, why do we do that? Because it's human nature. But now let me say it's fallen human nature to do that. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because all of us are born into sin, right? We are fallen. That's why the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Humanity is fallen from where we were created. So because of that, we are especially susceptible when we're irritated and so forth. We want to tell people about it. And we want to talk about it and we want to spread it around. We want to stir it up because that's human nature. But when we come to Christ, it's no longer a fallen nature. Now it's a sanctified nature, a set apart nature. Now, boy, we could spend a lot of time talking about this, but I I believe the way I understand the Bible that when we come to Christ... And he forgives us of our sins. And he begins to transform us. And he renews us by in our minds with the word of God and by his Holy Spirit. And then we are separated and we are sanctified. That our nature is restored to what it once was. And that hate and all that stuff that's in us. All that junk that used to be there. There's not room for that anymore when the Holy Spirit has filled us. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the power of the gospel. The unforgiveness, the hate, the junk, all of that can be, can be dealt with by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us. That's why the Bible makes these demands on us. Because we are empowered to live differently than we used to live. Amen? Now, So we had this human nature, and somebody tell me who was responsible for this fallen human nature. The Bible says the serpent, every time I think of a snake, this is what I think of. You've seen that tongue, haven't you? That tongue comes out, boy, it's a forked tongue in a serpent. Satan was responsible for that. Now, Satan is still around. And he's still pulling the same old junk he pulled in. Trying to deceive us and get us to see things in a, in a different way, a different perspective. He lies to us. He causes us to, to, to see things in a way that, that he likes us to see them. Right? Oh, this just pops into my mind. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It never says, looking to the pastor, the author and the finisher of our faith. It never says, looking to the deacons, the author and the finisher of our faith. It never says, looking to my husband, the author and the finisher of my faith. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And I will be a happy Christian if I can learn to look to Jesus and quit looking at everybody else. Amen? 
Now, Pastor, why in the world would you preach a sermon like this today? Because I, I see, based on what this book of the Bible talks about, how we're being ripped off. Satan is having his way in churches all across America. Because we are violating a very basic premise, love your neighbor as yourself. And forgive. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And we throw all that out the window for a good gripe session. And vent to somebody. And then it's, it's like, remember where the Bible says, receive not an accusation. Don't listen to that, John. When we start doing that, we are opening the door for the adversary, just like that book said. Well, I read, if you were listening, I read several times about lies. Amen? Who is it that John 8.44 says is the father of lies? Who? The devil. Satan is the father of lies. So anytime there's a lie being told, devil's got his foot in the door. Amen. And then accusations. Didn't that script, didn't that word come up several times? Who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan. See, we need to understand this for who's behind it. We need to attribute this spirit and understand that it's not coming from our heavenly father. It's coming from the pit of hell. And that's what causes the, the kind of turmoil in churches all across America. He twists and he turns and he perverts the truth. Sad thing is a lot of people, a lot of people would much, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've been told, you ever heard somebody complain when you watch the news, they don't ever give good news, it's all bad news. Do you know why they don't ever give good news? Because that doesn't boost the ratings. People generally aren't interested in hearing about good news in the world today. They want to hear the bad news. The salacious, juicy gossip. Let a, let a man of God or a, a public figure have a, have a failure in his life. I tell people this all the time. All somebody's got to do is pick up a telephone and make an accusation against me. And say, he did this and he did that. He, let me just be straight with you. We're, we're living in a day where Satan's working. All somebody's got to do is pick up a phone and make a phone call and say, that pastor at New Life Church, he fondled me on my way out the door. How long is it going to take WREL to have a camera out here and have my mug shot on the TV? That's the spirit of where we are. And, and Christians, above all people, are going to have to be smart enough to know that Satan is up, is, is, is out to ruin and tear down the church any way he can. And we have this, it's an unbelievably blatant and plain treatise from Paul the Apostle to his son in the faith. Now, Timothy, this is what you're going to face. 
And this is how you're going to have to handle it. Just about every pastor who goes to seminary and then goes to, goes to pastor church, he finds out really quick that seminary did not prepare him to pastor church. Because it didn't prepare him how to deal with people. And the church is made up of what? People. And so this is a wonderful piece of... It wasn't even advice. It was a charge. It was a command. This is what you do, Timothy. And this is why you do it. Because we don't want Satan to have his way. The song we were singing earlier said... Sometimes we forget whose we are. But I'll tell you this, if we'll always be mindful of whose we are, it'll cause us to zip it up a whole lot of times when we would have been talking. Amen? And may I also say, based on the Word of God, that we are never out of order by looking at somebody and saying, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. Somebody's just spreading junk and talking garbage. Just say, I don't have time for this. I love God. And if there's no listeners, there's not much of a demand for that type of thing, is there? It's an amazing thing. I had never seen that in the scripture before. Receive not an accusation. Don't listen to that stuff. Well, I've learned a lot this week from that passage. I wish I had learned it 35 years ago. There's been times when as a pastor I've said things I wish I had never said. You're the same way. But today is the first day of the rest of our lives. So... I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing this hymn. We're going to sing it with a video. We've never done this before, maybe, I don't know. But we're just going to sing along. And This has been chosen not for the, not for the music, it's been chosen for the words. And I hope you'll catch that as we sing together.
that again. And as we have our final prayer, I wonder if we could just all move out and make a big circle. And I want us to join hands and pray a prayer of unity over this church before we leave today. Step out to the walls and take my life and let it be. Help us be. symbolic, but Lord, that the unity that becomes part of who we are, that becomes the fabric and the DNA of this church. Oh God, that it would be so real, so powerful, so genuine that all of us would guard not only what we say, but what we allow our ears to hear. 
and give us boldness, Lord, to sometimes look at somebody else and say, this is not a God-honoring conversation. It is over. Oh, God, give us the strength to take a stand for what is pleasing in your sight. Minister to us, Lord. We Take my life we and let it.